the Flipside Podcast. On this week's episode of the Flipside Podcast. But in, in our sense, I started the podcast out of a sense of after George Floyd was killed, I was looking for a way for me to use my talents to affect change that was going to be more than just donating or going to a couple protests. Uh-huh. You know, something that I felt like I could bring to the table that was going to be as everlasting as I could make it with my family job and responsibilities, but something I really was passionate about and spreading that through a, a, a vehicle that was a positive platform. This episode gives me the opportunity to reflect on season one of the Flipside podcast. So much has been learned, so much has been developed in the sense of this podcast has changed my life in a very positive way. It's therapeutic to have the opportunity to talk about so many different topics and interact with so many different people over the last three months. It's been a great opportunity to learn more from different things, from different people, about politics, about race relations, about relationships, about so many different things that all fall into many different categories. But ultimately, I'm thankful that the podcast has come this far. This is episode 11, and it's been amazing. It's been amazing, and I will continue this journey. This is only the beginning of the first of which I hope will be many seasons. So I wanted to have an opportunity to recap all the episodes that we've had for this first season of the podcast. And I started off with a conversation that I had with my brother, my younger brother, who is four years younger than me. Um, We don't really have a close relationship, and that's something that I don't really get into on the podcast. But I really like the opportunity that we are developing our relationship. And that was not the whole reason why I decided to have him interview me, but it was good to have my brother who knows me very well, you know, ask the questions. There wasn't that information that you had the opportunity to hide. And then also there's a background of a shared family, shared environment, shared community. So it really gave the opportunity to have a person interview me that could ask questions that I wouldn't necessarily bring to the table. I appreciated the fact that it was very natural to talk to him, answer the questions that he asked. And I also appreciated that he asked insightful questions because I had written a script of what I wanted to be able to have in terms of questions. And he kind of added his contributions, which I thought actually enhanced the episode even more. So it was a great way to kick it off. It was very important to me that the listeners understood, you know, who this person was, why they're starting this podcast. And even if you've had the opportunity to listen to the Flipside podcast, I hope you get a chance to go back and listen to that first episode if you haven't already, because there's a lot there, a lot of depth 
to uncover in terms of why this podcast got started. So that's a good way to kind of bring things full circle with this last episode of season one. The next two episodes for episodes two and three focused on mental health, which my knowledge of the subject has grown vastly, not only from the episodes, but just through my research, especially since it's affected a lot of people in these current states of the pandemic, as we deal with a lot of stress, a lot of different confines, as we're quarantining, dealing with illnesses, deaths, the struggle and stress of what this pandemic has brought into all of our homes. It's hard to imagine anyone that's not affected by the pandemic. And mental health has been a huge part of that. The awareness that people have, the solutions that people contribute to be able to understand how to cope and how to be able to support people who are dealing with mental health issues. I personally felt like the podcast got started from my conversations with my best friend and his dealings with mental health and his feelings of anxiety. Of all the episodes, I thought it was very interesting that one of the first couple episodes was probably one of my favorites, only because it just felt so authentic, so real, to have that opportunity to speak with someone who you care about dearly and hear their struggle and know that their answers are a testimony. And one of the most exciting things about the episodes that dealt with mental health was the outcry that I received from people. Uh, There were a number of comments, uh, messages that I received in thanks, uh, giving people the opportunity to feel more comfortable or to hear a story that uplifted them, made them feel like they had the space to be able to talk more openly about mental health and feel that there was others out there who were going through similar struggles and it was okay to talk about. So I, it was interesting to me because it gave me a, a affirmation for the podcast early on because the comments that I received were very influential, very helpful, and I got that sense of this podcast is helping people. Um, it's also giving people a voice to be able to speak out and learn more. So I definitely felt like Coming full circle, those episodes on mental health not only gave me the opportunity to learn, but also touched me in a way that made me certain that the podcast was doing the things that I had originally hoped for in the beginning. With the third episode in terms of defunding the police, it was cool because it gave me the opportunity to kind of dial into the effects, you know. Working on a podcast is a labor of love for most people who do podcasts, especially when you're hosting but producing the content. So that means the editing, the opportunities to be able to make selections about what the plot's going to be, how you kind of create your storyboards, and how you kind of piece it all together into a finished product that's published for public consumption. So you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how people are going to react. And in episode three, it gave me that 
chance to see what I could do in terms of the sound, adding in the audio from the body cam uh, of the police officer who was chasing down, you know, a gentleman who was dealing with his own mental health issues and had a situation where it was reacting to uh, police brutality situations that have been evolving within our current media climate today, you know, and it, it was interesting to kind of have that topic, talk about it, and, and really get into the raw footage of what happened, what took place. I mean, you literally had this officer running and, you know, huffing and puffing as he's, you know, chasing this person down. I mean, one of the things that I thought was interesting was you could hear the sound of, the, of a taser, of the taser, you know, in the whole incident. And then you heard how the officer was trying to, you know, talk down the person and they still ended up running. So the effects and the audio that went into the episode really stretched my ability to kind of figure out how the sound was going to be amplified and also how to kind of make that flow and transition out of it. You know, I, I, the topic of police brutality came up very often uh, in season one, not only because of the time frame of season one involving situations that have taken place, you know, with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, but also just the political climate brought it to the topic, you know, it became a major hot button issue. And I've had several conversations with different types of individuals in my life, you know, friends, colleagues, neighbors, just, it seemed like it was a topic that just bled through all sectors of my life. So to have that opportunity to discuss the defund the police was, was something that I wanted to address, but also too, as I stand now thinking about it, one of the things that kind of bothers me is the whole idea of, we have this phrase of defund the police. And I think about who came up with that phrase and how it's so problematic. You know, it really kind of gives this idea of what it is that it means versus what it is that the goal is. And it's such a, you know, contrast from what people take in to what the actual goal is, you know, of the movement, for lack of a better term, you know, defund the police automatically incites people to believe that they're trying to abolish and get rid of the police. And I really thought that it was a lack of awareness on the part of the people who chose you know, that moniker or that name to say defund the police. And I, I say that with the creative mind, you know, fully intact. I come up with different episode names. Uh, I come up with different ideas and, and I think about the wording very carefully because when something is out there for public consumption, you understand that, you know, it really can be seen or perceived many different ways. And one of the things that bothers me the most about this idea of defund the police is that I think it's very poorly worded. Uh, you know, you, you give people ammunition to speak out against your cause when you don't necessarily take the care to message it in the right way. So defund the police could very well have been 
modified or tweaked or even created differently to represent something that was more along the lines of, you know, share the wealth of the police or help utilize the resources more effectively, you know, and, and not in the sense of that being the name, but just targeting an idea that was more geared towards explaining what the movement was. And the movement is more about taking the finances of what's spent in terms of government funding on the police and using it to a more effective level by giving more resources to mental health, uh, the appropriate physicians or the appropriate clinicians to do the work with people who are in need within different communities and having a more widespread variety of resources that are available. So if anybody comes to mind in terms of politics and you understand anything about how things work, you need funding. You need money to be able to make things work and you need resources to be able to improve the the efficiency of how things are working. So defund the police, I just felt, you know, as a as a term, you know, even to this day bothers me because it almost fuels the controversy. And I, you know, I feel some type of way saying that because it's like I'm for the cause of spreading the resources, which is what defund the police means, but when people hear defund the police, it just helps create that narrative that's completely false. And it's counterproductive, which is the idea that people want to get rid of the police, they want to abolish the police, and pull police officers off of the street so that there's this idea that there's going to be less police and people are going to feel unsafe. So that that's something that I think is was brought to light recently for me, but really didn't, you know, work its way into the episode. So then Moving on to, I would think, for the most part, was probably the most controversial, popular, and easiest to edit episode of season one. And that was the dynamic debates. Uh, And, you know, you had two folks who I am very grateful for their ability to come onto the podcast, you know, kind of go toe-to-toe with each other as we had a a conservative, you know, white man and a liberal black woman, you know, go back and forth, you know, talk about a lot of different hot topics. And it went beautifully. You know, it's 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 the opportunity to be able to have that conversation that was full of conflict, full of drama, a lot of emotion, a lot of passion. And it did exactly what the intention was. It brought two people together who weren't going to see eye to eye But at the end of the day, they were able to show respect. They were able to show uh, their upset. They were emotional. They were, you know, intense. They argued and they went back and forth. And I really excited. uh, I would would say the episode kind of got me a little fired up at times. You know, there was a scene or rather there was a part of the interview or in this case, a debate where things got so intense that I had to mute both Stephanie and um, 
I had to mute Stephanie's mic and I had to mute John's mic because they were going at it. You know, they kind of got intense. They were talking about a topic. I It just got so fiery. I couldn't even get a word in. And it was starting to, you know, be detrimental for you, the listener on the podcast. But my greatest thanks to those two because they just, it was unscripted. They did a tremendous job. I was completely blown away by their commentary and their knowledge of the topic because everything that we discussed, you know, I gave them the topics ahead of time, but never really got into the details of it. They really had to draw into their own insights and be prepared with whatever research they had or whatever news information that they made available for themselves. But I, I greatly appreciate the job that they did because it was it was phenomenal and also you know, one of my favorite episodes. And moving to episode five, um, Insights from a Karen. You know, and the thing that interests me the most or was shocking to me was the idea that I interviewed Miss Karen and she knew the topic. She knew what it was that we were going to discuss. And I, I, you know, I felt like she was willing to contribute in a very meaningful way. You know, going into these interviews, you you always wonder if the person's going to be authentic, if they're going to give you the real, raw answers. And a lot of the reasons why I don't typically give people the questions ahead of time is because I want to get their natural reaction. You know, a lot of times when you give someone in, uh, questions ahead of time, you know, they review them, they think about what they're going to say, and their answers don't seem to be as raw. But what interesting, what was the most shocking thing to me was that when I interviewed Miss Karen, and the episode was clearly about the topic of being a Karen, we talked about white privilege. And talking about it with a person who has white privilege, you can't deny it, you know, in the sense of just their ability to be able to relate to the world or the world rather relates to them a certain way because they're white. And this individual really didn't know what the definition of white privilege was. And it it seemed like through the interview, I had to kind of give her the definition through the commentary or through our conversation which kind of blows my mind in a way because she had an idea that white privilege was, you know, you're kind of given more money, given more opportunity. You, you don't work as hard and you don't have the same, you know, level of ability to grind and do the things that get you the benefits that you want in life because you just, you just don't work as hard as other people which is not the definition of white privilege at all. White privilege is the ability to flow through life with more ease because you are white. And our world has benefits and detriments that people experience or don't experience because of the color of their skin. Now, to me, that's really what it boils down to. And it was amazing to me that someone who was an educator, 
because Miss Karen is a teacher uh, by trade and someone who was preparing to be able to talk on a platform about certain topics was unaware of what white privilege even was, which speaks to the idea of having the privilege to know or not know something that really is a part of not just popular, you know, trends, popular topics, but, you know, it was kind of the subject that we had gotten together to talk about in a way. I mean, imagine myself, you know, being a person of color and not understanding, you know, what it meant about why we celebrate, you know, MLK or why it is that we look to be able to do certain things like celebrate Kwanzaa. You know, you kind of have an understanding that you can hold yourself accountable or hold yourself to a certain level of responsibility for certain things, you know. And and I'm not sure that that's a universal thing. I think that's kind of just the way that I was raised, the way you kind of understand, you know, My parents were very big on the idea that, you know, you're black and as a part of being black, you need to know A, B, C, and D, X, Y, and Z. You know, it's kind of just the way that things go, the way the world works. So it was interesting to kind of have that conversation and really kind of have that dimension added to it. Whereas I, as a person who's a black man and talking to a white woman and explaining to her what white privilege is. So that was that even saying it kind of makes me feel like, wow, like think about that, you know, let that sink in for a little bit. So then to episode, episode six, you know, we really got into this idea of the election and the election, I, for the most part, was kind of as impactful as COVID, obviously. It just affected everybody in a good way, in a bad way. It pissed people off. It made people upset. It made people emotional. I mean, you could argue that the election and COVID probably have done as much to this year of 2020 as anything that you could ever think of throughout the centuries that people have been inhabiting the planet. It's just been obviously a tough year. The election really tore people into two different teams, uh, placed them on two different sides. The aftermath of what took place was interesting because it wasn't so much the aftermath of who won the election, which obviously was Joe Biden, by the way, but it was more about how folks decided to side with Donald Trump and how that demonized them, how they were seen as individuals who aligned for the views and the thoughts and the tweets of Donald J. Trump. And I really felt like it was tribal, You know, tribal in a way that, you know, you kind of sign up for that allegiance, you know, to a certain person. You know, people are going to attribute their goals. People are going to attribute their views with you. So I felt like it was a fair decision to be able to view people in that way who align themselves with someone who clearly stood for certain provocative 
controversial and sometimes abusive things, movements, you know, different ways that he was, you know, going to be able to speak out in a negative way for things that he wanted to be able to do that intentionally, intentionally stirred the pot and kind of created this divide, you know, and I felt it. I felt it very much so in the sense that that's why I chose to do the episode. You know, I had folks on this side that I was engaged with, talking with, developing relationships with, fixing the relationships, talking, cursing, yelling, going back and forth. And I really wanted to dive deep into that. I thought the episodes, you know, from the Republican side to the Democrat side or the in fact, if I'm being co- uh, correct, it wasn't even Republican and Democrat. It was more so, you know, pro Donald Trump, for lack of a better term, and they voted for him. Um, they believed in some of his policies. And then, you know, obviously folks that were against Donald Trump felt like he was racist, sexist, you know, a lot of xenophobia, a lot of different things. You know, misogyny was involved. And some of the things on the Trump side, I thought were very clear. And it's really important to understand this because this is what my takeaway was from the episodes. People value their ability to be able to grow and develop and protect and secure what they have. And a lot of that comes from the money they receive, the resources they incur. And the level of ability to get more of what they want and to secure what they have. And a lot of what people have told me as Donald Trump supporters is centered around this idea of, I have a business. I have certain things that are important to me and my family. It could be religion. Uh, It could be the ideals of just being a conservative and living a conservative lifestyle. And obviously this notion of keeping things, or in this case, America, the way that it was, making it great, making it maintain, or there was some level of getting things back to the way that they were. And I thought that was interesting because as I stated with the defund the police, you know, nomenclature or the way that it's described or or a name is put to it. Make America Great Again was very intentional. You know, in the research that I did and the ways that I've talked to people is there was a thought of people will get on board with this because they're concerned that the world around them is changing too much. And we need to kind of shift course here and have things go back to the way that they were when you can easily tie that into economic gains by certain groups. You can turn that into the ability to have a stronghold on political power from white men who have the ability to be able to influence and dominate our society, whether that's mainstream, whether that's in the, 
you know, financial sector. It's a lot of different things that are tied into this idea of making America great. And in talking with the lack of a better term, and I'm saying this, you know, pro Trumpets or for Donald Trump, you know, they had ideas that were shaped around thoughts to protect businesses they've created, opportunities that they have. And it really wasn't this idea of getting on board with Donald Trump's so-called, you know, racism. But I thought it was interesting that they didn't see Donald Trump as racist. And it was it was kind of weird because I know folks that really tie into that in a public way who are Republicans. You know, I watch CNN and, you know, Fox News, C-SPAN, and there is topics that touch on the idea about Donald Trump's, you know, racism and, you know, different people have been asked very directly, you know, do you support his racist ideas? And they didn't fight the idea of him being racist all the time, but they said they were against a lot of the things that he was saying. And it was interesting because the the controversy of the idea behind the election aftermath was would you, could you even question that Donald Trump was racist? And both sides kind of took it different ways, which I thought was really divisive because you could look at certain things that Donald Trump has done and say, yeah, he is 100% this way. And I think in some cases, you could say he doesn't necessarily deny it unless he's outright asked. Um, so there's this idea, too, on the you know, anti-Trump side of cutting people off. And you have friends, you have folks that you talk to, and you get into conversations, you understand who they are, you understand more about what they're doing, and you could cut them off because they have a certain view or they support a certain candidate. And I saw a post on Facebook, and it, you know, dealt with the topic to be able to say, you know, if you have a friend and they and your friendship because of your political views, that person was never really your friend. And at first glance, it makes it feel like, you know, the person who's cutting the other person off is the one that's being too harsh or is the person who's at fault, which is really kind of just another way of kind of manipulating the situation. Because if you are concerned with the situation that involves Donald Trump, it's not so much the person. It's more about the messaging. It's more about the hate that's coming from the actions that our former president took against certain marginalized groups. And that, regardless of racism, regardless of sexism, you couldn't argue. Like, you can't make the argument that Donald Trump selectively decides to be able to speak for certain people and speak against other groups of people, which by definition is choosing a side and being able to go against certain people and go for other people, which as the president of the United States is a very problematic issue because as folks who are Trump supporters tell me, he is the president of all of us, or in fact, let me correct myself, he was the president. And there was this idea that he just never brought 
the idea of being presidential to his job. You know, he kind of really was the same person that was on the reality TV shows, the same person that was involved in, you know, publicity stunts earlier on. And a lot of the things that he did, even as the president, and even as he does now, are just stunts, you know, sideshows, different things that are ways to be able to get us in conflict, drama, you know, and there's so many things going on in this world. It's really, especially now as things are hard, you know, there's other things that we have to deal with than a president that's creating controversy and creating drama. So, you know, I could go on about this topic for for who knows how long, but I want to be able to move along to the biggest change from episodes that we had done thus far was when we switched and transitions to the reactions, you know, of Queen and Slim, the movie, you know, by our two guests, Emily and Sean. Uh, They reviewed the movie Queen and Slim as a white couple. And the idea of introducing them as a white couple was problematic. For example, the idea in the beginning was to title the episode, A White Couple Watched the Movie Queen and Slim. You know, for, for lack of a better term, that was the working title. And in speaking with, you know, Emily and Sean, you know, the lovely couple that they are, I could tell that that was... They wouldn't say it to me, but from their reaction in terms of just... And I said it was a working title. I could tell that they were a little bit offended by this idea of them being seen as a white couple, you know, watching this black movie, you know. And that was the intention of the episode. Like, there wasn't something that we were trying to hide. It wasn't something that was a secret. But I think just outright saying it and having that be the title was a little bit too controversial, a little bit too fiery. So after we thought about it, you know, and kind of talked about, you know, the ways that we wanted to, you know, have them review the movie. And then I wanted to be able to talk to them in a decent amount of time. I didn't want, you know, too much time to go by before they saw, before they saw the movie, before I was able to kind of talk to them about their reaction. And it was very good to be able to hear what they said, because unlike most interviews that I've done for the podcast, I really felt like they really took it on as an assignment, you know, and and they're not in a bad way. They just really, you know, put effort and thoughtfulness into the responses that they gave. And it wasn't as though they, you know, calculated a script or wrote down answers that they wanted to say, because as I mentioned before, they were not given questions ahead of time. So it was really great to be able to get their raw reaction. And I thought their responses taught me a ton because, you know, movies are one of the interesting mediums where we could all see the same movie six or seven times and miss certain things, notice new ideas, acknowledge things that we didn't view the same way every time we watch the movie. And, you know, I'm a movie person. I enjoy the opportunity to watch almost any type of film and really kind of dive into the details, as long as it's, you know, 
giving a good message that I can, you know, obtain some knowledge from, you know, some nonsense, you know, on Netflix, I can just pass that over. But with Queen and Slim, I, I chose the movie, obviously, for its um, content involving police brutality, involving race relations, involving black love. I really felt like it had so many different topics that were heavy. And the biggest draw to the movie for me was it, it made me emotional, you know, on so many different levels, you know, having the opportunity to watch the film multiple times, it, it gets a reaction out of me. You know, I was very um, tearful at moments, joyful at others, and swirling around this idea during this time frame is very palatable. And I wanted to be able to see and understand if people from a different background would view it the same way. And I was pleasant, pleasantly surprised to not only see that they viewed it in a very similar way, but took the opportunity to be able to try to dive deeper because they didn't come from you know, that same point of view. They didn't understand certain parts about black culture. So it was almost like their preparedness and their attentiveness to the movie was heightened because they knew this is going to be foreign to our lifestyle and what it can we do to really make sure that we're staying present in the moment to be able to understand. So they gave me a ton of different things to learn. So I really hope that listeners were able to get that context from the couple because it's not easy. You know, people get interviewed and they talk about certain things, but being a part of a podcast, even in a general sense of being interviewed is not an easy thing because one of the things that I've learned amongst the many things that season one has taught me is when you talk to people and it could be, you know, in a conversation in the lunchroom, you know, talking over the telephone, people will say a lot of different things, give a lot of different, you know, insightful and, you know, dynamic, wild comments that they may say, and they feel like, they have unabashed feelings that they want to share. And that's great. But when you ask some of those same people to join you on a podcast in a public forum and talk about those things, uh, that's not something they always want to do. You know, it's kind of the idea of being able to talk in a public forum and have people, you know, cast judgment upon you. And also, too, you know, it's just not something everybody wants to be a part of. So that's the first hurdle, you know, getting over the idea that you want to be able to share something publicly or give your insights in a, in a very, you know, open way. And the other is just the responses that you give in regards to the topic. So to say that, it's a great appreciation and a, a debt that I have to all the folks that joined me on this first season of the Flipside Podcast, because it's not an easy thing to get on here and have someone ask you questions and you share your views and know that other folks may have an unfavorable reaction to what you're saying. So deep down from the bottom of my heart, I am extremely appreciative and extremely grateful to all those who joined me on season one of the Flipside Podcast.
couple of things to be able to add before I wrap up this recap of season one is season two is coming and get ready because it's going to be amazing. I have a lot of different things that we're going to discuss. You know, I've talked with some individuals that I've assembled as a panel for the podcast to give me uh, insights, hold me in check, hold me accountable, talk about ways to improve. And one of the things that's been discussed is, you know, kind of lighten the podcast topics a little bit, pull back, you know, kind of talk about some things that, you know, would still be controversial, but maybe not as uh, intense, you know, kind of give people the opportunity to ease into some of the topics to maybe give them more of an ability to relate on different levels, not necessarily, you know, going away from the controversial topics, but, you know, kind of talking more from a broader lens about different things we could bring into, um, you know, the lens or uh, the the range of topics for the Flipside podcast. So we're going to do some of that. And, you know, it's not easy to be able to hit people over the head with topics that involve race and involve their livelihood and involve, you know, their feelings and emotions. So we're going to definitely kind of broaden different ideas about what controversial topics we talk about and what races we address. You know, everything can't always be, you know, black and white because there's so many things going on in our world that affect you know, the LGBTQ community that affect, you know, gender inequality, you know, the Latinx community. There's so many things, um, you know, Jewish individuals, Muslims, a lot of underserved, marginalized communities are dealing with a lot of different issues that I want to be able to discuss. And I also want to be able to, you know, dive into the other sides of those topics and speak out on behalf of you know, both communities or both teams and obviously both sides. And we have to be able to consider the moniker or the theme or however you want to call it of the podcast. And that is that conversations create change. And I will forever, as long as this podcast goes, stick to the ideas that folks who talk and folks who continue the conversation will always, will always be working towards a positive goal. It may not feel that way. It may get intense. It may get underhanded. It may feel, you know, like the person's not even listening. But I truly believe the more we talk, the more we engage, the more hopeful we can be to have conversations the more progressive, the more eventful, and the more positive things will change. I want to thank everybody for listening to not only this episode, but considering the opportunity to share your time and listen to uh, season one of the Flipside podcast. Season two is going to be uh, rolling out and launching in January. We're going to switch the format up a little bit, probably not have the podcast be every single week, but we will look to be able to communicate the episodes every other Thursday. 
because we've had an opportunity to be able to run its course every Thursday, and we want to be able to bring uh, a higher content value, bring more quality, and having the episode sparsed out a little bit more will give us the ability to do that. So be on the lookout for episodes 12 through however many we get to be able to experience season two, season two of the Flipside Podcast. As always, my name is Ed Hill, and as always, remember, conversations create change. Thank you.